Well, good morning. Welcome back. Uh, thank you, Corbin, for those announcements. And I know parents and everywhere are going to be happy when the uh, barber shops open back up so we can get our kids' haircuts again. So God, God bless you, buddy. Appreciate you so much. Hey, before um, I jump into my message, um, let me give you a little bit of an update uh, as to where we're at with uh, our online-only services. Uh, those of you who are living here in Oklahoma that are watching this morning are aware that um, this beginning this Friday uh, on May 1st, which is my birthday, uh, they're going to begin to lift some of the restrictions uh, as far as the uh, COVID-19 uh, virus has, it goes, and uh, they are going to begin to open some of the businesses back up, and they are taking a very measured approach. Uh, they're uh, concerned uh, the virus is still around, it is uh, still taking lives, and so they're trying to do this very deliberately and very slowly. And, of course, we are uh, monitoring this carefully because, um, like you, we want to get back to uh, in-person services and begin all of that. Uh, Friday, uh, our Mayor Holt uh, uh, made a, uh, gave a talk on, to the news, and he made it really clear that even though uh, the restrictions, some of the restrictions are being lifted this Friday, that there are going to be many restrictions in place, uh, a lot of the social distancing, the wearing of masks for uh, both customers and, and patrons, all those kinds of things, um, is going to be in place, and he did make it clear that still uh, gatherings of no more than 10 people, which obviously prohibits us from being able to, to meet as a congregation. So just here's the deal. Um, we're going to continue to monitor. Uh, we're going to c- continue to uh, watch very closely with our uh, civic leaders uh, as to the approach that they are taking. Our concern, like theirs, is first and foremost for your safety, for your health and well-being, as much as I would love to have you here and not just be speaking to an empty room, as much as I would love to be able to hug you and and, uh, be close again, uh, your health and welfare is uh, most important to us. And so we're going to continue to monitor. We are going to continue to watch how this thing progresses over the next few weeks. Uh, What this means uh, for the near future is that probably for at least the first two or three Sundays of May, we're we're going to continue online only, and uh, we'll monitor over the next couple of weeks, and our board and staff together uh, will continue to, to monitor, and then we will make a decision uh, kind of based on what's happening in our community. So we will let you know as things unfold. Uh, I know you're like me. Uh, man, when I heard the news that they're going to lift it, we know we're, we're excited. We want to get back together, um, but we do have to really do this with a, a strong, measured level of caution, and so we'll, we're going to continue to monitor, and we we will get you back here just as soon as we believe uh, it is right and healthy to do so. And uh, if you have any questions about any of that, please feel free uh, to call me this week. I'd be more than happy to talk to you about that. Today, um, I want to begin a, a brand new series um, on uh, relationships. And um, one of the things that I have learned in ministry is out of, out of all of the things that uh, I talk about or deal with, it seems like relationships, marriage, family issues, um, all of those kinds of things really seem to be hot topic items for folks. And uh, so every year I try to target at least one series uh, to that end. So today uh, I want to I jump into a brand new series. And we're going to throw it up on the screen for you. I want to open this series up. First I want to talk about five facts about relationships. You know, when we begin to talk about relationships, I want to give you just a a few things that I I just think we want to kind of lay the groundwork for. First off, the fact of the matter is is that relationships are not always easy. 
They're just not always easy. In fact, wherever you're at right now today, if you are sitting close to someone who is not easy to have a relationship with, would you just raise your hand, please? Yeah, yeah. I think I see everybody's hand raised everywhere. Yes, yes, even some of you who are driving. I see that hand, yes. Yeah, they're just not easy. As much as we love people, as much as we care about people, uh, there are a lot of dynamics at work that just make relationships probably a lot more challenging than we ever thought they would be. Um, Wanda and I were laughing this week. We were talking about a quote by uh, a therapist by the name of John Bradshaw. He said, <laughs> he said, you show me someone who's not in pain, and I'll show you someone who's not in a relationship. And that's probably true. A second fact about relationships, and I think this has increased through the years, is that we don't always have good models for them. You know, we don't always have good models for relationships. Um, you know, when you begin to look at the statistics of what's going on culturally for us, and you begin to look at uh, the incredibly high rate of uh, families where uh, divorce is a part uh, of their experience, when you begin to look at the fact that about 60 plus percent of our children right now are being raised by one parent only, when you look at the uh, rising rates of alcoholism and substance abuse, of the opioid epidemic, all of those things, um, even though that they are addictions that seem to be out there, they all impact our relationships and our ability to interact. You couple that with the rising rate of technology that has taken us away from interacting with each other to interacting with a screen and what you begin to develop over, over time is an ever-emerging uh, culture that really don't know how to get along with each other well. Um, it's just amazing the skills that we lose over time uh, through all of those things. So again, it's, we just always, some of us don't, we just don't have good models. We didn't see it around us. We didn't have it in our home. We didn't see it in our parents, which gets me to the third thought, which means that most of us really need help with relationships. Most of us really need help with relationships. Now, how many of you be honest enough to admit you need help with relationships? Go ahead and put your hand up so you can just let the other person in the room know who you said it wasn't easy to get along with them. They know you need help too. Yes, absolutely. And, and this is one of the things that we find. Now, here's the great news. And I want you to make eye contact because I want you to hear this. Relationships are skills. They're skills. Um, what I found is it's not just about intentions or even caring or compassion, but it really is about skills that we can develop. And so I hope you'll be encouraged by that as we, as we go through this series. A fourth fact about relationships is that they are important to God. Now, I'm going to circle back to this later, but the reality is, and I think sometimes um, we forget just how important relationships are to our Heavenly Father. Really interesting, when Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? He said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, don't miss this. And then he said, and the second is equally important, and that is that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Now, I just want you to notice how 
when Jesus was asked, out of all the things that we should do to please God, I want you to notice how Jesus would not uh, uncouple this whole idea that it is important to God, not just that we love him and that we honor him and that we respect him, and, but, but that also that we have this uh, agape love that flows between us as individuals. And, and, and one of the things I just want to impress upon you when you think about your journey with God is you just can never lose sight of this, that justice is important to God that we grow in our relationship with him. It's really, really important to him that we grow in our relationships with one another. Now, let me give you a fifth fact. A fifth fact is that the relationships within our families are often the most important and the most difficult. I want you to just let that sink in for a second. The relationships within our families are often the most important and the most difficult. You know, whenever you ask the question in a room and ask people to say, what are the most important things in your life? Um, right up at the top, most people will say their family, their relationship with their spouse, their relationship with their kids, their relationship with their parents or their friends. They'll, they'll say those things are right at the top. Yet here's the deal. Um, the most challenging sometimes of relationships are also the people that we're closest to, our spouse, our children, our parents. And, and I'm going to guess that by now, after what, we, what have we been in this uh, coronavirus thing now for about six weeks where we've had to stay at home and, and kind of be away and just be with our family. I'm going to guess that by now there are some of you in your home that um, your, your love for each other may be beginning to wane a little bit. Your nerves may be a little bit raw and uh, you may be feeling just a little bit anxious here, uh, you know, about ready to get out and get away from each other. Uh, because again, as much as you love, as much as we would look at our spouse or look at our kids and say, man, we would, we would lay down our lives for them. At the same time, come on, let's be honest, there are days that we just want to strangle them, you know? That's just the nature of life. That's the way it is. It makes it challenging. Well, when I was, when I was thinking about this series and, and what, what could I share that might help you, not just in your family or in your marriage, but what could I share with you that would be helpful in all of your relationships, no matter who they're with, one of the things I thought about was the fact that it's the little things that really do make a big difference. It's the little things that really do make a big difference. Um, really interesting. Some of you will remember uh, the, the Apollo 13 mission, and if you yeah, weren't alive when that was going off, uh, some of you, at least a lot of you have watched the movie and if you remember the storyline, it was to be the third lunar landing on the moon uh, in the United, with the United States ship going up. And the Apollo 13, though, um, they had something that happened. If you remember, uh, there was an oxygen tank that ended up uh, blowing up, and uh, it caused them to lose oxygen, and it caused them to lose fuel. And uh, most of you will remember, you know, now they're out there in space. They ended up being the ship that went the furthest away from the moon of any, any launch that the uh, U.S. had ever done. And, um, and as they're doing this, the, you know, they were trying to figure out how in the world to get this crew safely home. 
And, um, and if you remember, the, the, if the movie is just a great line where he draws the, draws the line from the moon back to the earth and talking about what they've got to work with. And he said, we've got to figure out how to get them from here to here, and failure is not an option. And uh, just a great, it's a great story. What's so interesting about that was that that oxygen tank that actually blew up was an oxygen tank that they had taken out of the Apollo 10 uh, ship, and we're going to put it in the Apollo 13. And as they were taking it out, um, it actually dropped a few inches and, and hit, uh, hit the surface. And when they did that, they, they did a test, and they looked at it, um, and they didn't see anything wrong and, and all that kind of stuff. But what had actually happened was there was a, a hairline crack that had developed uh, in that, at least that's the strongest theory that they have, a hairline crack that had developed in that tank. And so when it came time for them to stir that tank and to do all of that, a series of just real unfortunate things happened because of that little crack it detonated and caused all of this chaos and all of this threat. Now, what I want you to understand is sometimes it's the little details that we don't pay attention to that really do make a big difference. And that is true in our relationship. What I started thinking about is that we, in our relationships, we get these moments, these moments in time where if we, if we handle this moment well and we do this moment well, our relationship is going to take a really nice strong turn and it's going to help bond us together. It's going to strengthen our tie. It's going to strengthen our bond. It's going to raise the trust level. But if we don't handle that moment well, we're going to continue to build walls between us. We're going to, we're going to, the trust is going to wane. Uh, the, the scar tissue is going to build. And, and it's in that defining moment how you handle that. And so what I want to do in this series is I want to look at uh, a few different defining moments where you have the opportunity to take it one way or the other. Are you ready? Let's jump into the first one today. Uh, In Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. He said, so if you are presenting um, a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. One of the things I mentioned to you a little bit ago, that that relationships really are important to God. And one of the pieces in that relationship that Jesus brings up here is that, you know, if, if you are sitting somewhere and you realize that you have wronged someone, that you have hurt someone, that there is something there that you need to take care of, you know what, you, you need to just stop what you're doing and you need to go make that right. Now, can we be honest? Some of us aren't really good at apologies. Uh, Some of us are a lot better at hurting than we are at healing. And yet, in those moments when we have an opportunity to, to make an apology, it's one of those defining moments. With our apology, we can either make it 
really good and we can help and we can heal. Or if we don't do the apology well, we can take a bad situation and make it worse. And I guarantee you, there are some of you right now, you're thinking of thoughts, you're thinking of incidents that you've had in the last week or two where you've taken a bad situation and you made it worse. And I know what you're saying. Pastor Steve, how do we do this? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about the difference between apologies that really stick and apologies that stink. (laughs) Come on, just us. How many of you have made some apologies that have really stunk before? Anybody? Yeah, 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 that's, I know. And, and that's what I want to talk about. How do we really do this right? You know, Jesus says, go make it right. So how do we do it? Now, before I jump into this, let, let, me, let, me, let me just say this on the very front end. You are only responsible for you. In other words, I, I want to be really clear. You can do an apology perfectly. You can do it with the best of heart and intentions. You can do it with the best skill but there is, it is important to understand that you can only take, uh, take responsibility for your end of things. Whoever it is that you're making the apology to, they too have to take responsibility for their end, for reconciliation to really take place. Now, Paul states this later in one of his letters when he, when he says, you know, um, live in peace so far as it depends upon you. So what I want to say to you today is I want to help you get better at your part, and we'll let the other person take care of theirs. Okay? You ready? You want to know? How do do we make apologies that can really stick and not stink? Here we go. Let me give you some thoughts. Here's the first one. When you make an apology, make them with your heart and not just your mouth. Make them with your heart. And not just your mouth. (laughs) If you grew up in a home where you were not the only child, my guess is at least at some point along the way, you did something to your brother or sister that was wrong. You you pulled their hair or you took their food or you you know took their video game or whatever whatever it was you did and my guess is somewhere along the way your parent when they caught you doing that when they they brought you in and they made you look at your sibling and they said now say you're sorry say you're sorry <laughs> And, you know, some of us, when we did that, we would fold our arms and we would, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know. Because here's the deal. You can make someone say the words, but you can't make them feel it in their heart. Now, you got to get this. We need to understand that when we're making an apology to someone, it's not just the words that we say. It really is the spirit in which we say it, that's the most important piece. Um, in Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord was talking to his people about going through the motions of things. Here's what he said. It says, and the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. Listen to this. But their hearts are far from me. In other words, God says, you know, it really, it really doesn't bless me. It really doesn't, you know, move me if you come and you're just going through the motions, but you really don't mean it. And it's the same way with people when we're doing that with apology. If they can tell that we're just going through the motions, that we just want to get out of this moment, 
you know, that we just want to get on with it. If that's, if that's the, the, the attitude that we have coming across, we're not healing them. Again, that's an apology that stinks. Here's what they want to know. Are you sincere? Do you really mean it? Listen very carefully. Do you really understand how bad I feel? Catch that word, feel. You know, when we enact revenge on someone, you know what revenge is all about? Revenge is wanting someone to feel what we felt. And so we hurt them like they hurt us, so they'll feel it. A really good apology is when we choose to feel what those we've hurt are feeling. Now, sometimes uh, we can walk into a situation and we can do that fairly well. But there are other times it's not quite as easy that we've got to also work at to let ourselves feel. And I thought of a few and I thought, you know what, I just want to talk about these because I think these happen for us from some time. We need to let ourselves feel their hurt and disappointment. Let me give you a few different times. Even if you didn't mean to hurt them. Even if you didn't mean to hurt him. In other words, sometimes, sometimes when we're trying to apologize to someone, we realize that what we did, um, you know, we, we didn't mean to do it. We weren't trying to hurt them. It was, it was an accident, or it was, but it doesn't matter. They're still hurt. Um, you know, Pastor Will uh, was up here, and I took a 20-pound weight that I had, and I slammed him in the foot with it. Um, that would hurt him. If I, Pastor Will was up here and I accidentally dropped a 20 pound weight and it hit his foot, that's still gonna hurt him. You see, it doesn't matter whether I meant to do it or I didn't mean to do it, he's hurting just the same. And we need to be able to lean into that and go, you know what, even though I didn't mean it, it still hurts them and I need to take ownership for that. I remember when, when, when I was a kid, um, back in the day when I was growing up, we didn't have all the safety toys that they have now. Every, everything I played with you could kill you when I was growing up. You know, you, some of you know what I'm talking about. I mean, every, everything that I was played with was, was sharp or deadly or whatever. And I remember when my parents got us a dartboard, and there were five kids in my family. And can I just say metal darts among five kids are probably not a good idea. And I remember we had it in my, my brother's room, and we were playing darts. And when I found out that these darts could stick, and I was a little kid. I was in third grade or less at the place where we lived. And, and I can remember, man, these, these darts, I found out they would stick in anything. I could stick them in anything, and, and they were so cool. And I was in the room, and I remember I, I had one of them, and I, I just looked up, and I threw it. I stuck it in the ceiling. And I was just marveling at that. And I thought it was so cool. But my sister, Cora, was walking through the room. And as she was walking through, the dart came loose and came down. And it stuck right in her leg. And I'll never forget it. It was horrifying. I just watched this dart just jab and just stuck right in her leg. Of course, she's howling and ah. Oh, and my mom comes running in. And what happened? And Steve stuck me with a dart. I said, no, I didn't stick her with the dart. I threw it in the ceiling. It was really cool. It was hanging up there. And she walked. That's her fault. She walked under it. She was so dumb. She, <laughs> you know, you know how this goes. Well, I didn't mean to stick my sister. I didn't really have a lot of emotion about sticking my sister. But the fact of the matter is, <laughs> even when we don't mean it, we still hurt people we love. And we need to love them enough 
to take ownership for that and let ourselves feel what they feel. Apologize, when, even when you didn't mean to hurt them. Apologize sincerely with brokenness, even when you couldn't help but hurt them. Now, here's what I mean. There are some times, um, as parents, we have to correct our children. Sometimes we have to discipline our children. There are some times um, in relationships that we have that we have to draw hard boundaries and we have to make decisions that really do hurt people that we care about. And even, um, even if we can't help that, even if that is the right thing to do, if it hurts them, we still need to let ourselves be compassionate for that pain. Let me give you an example. Um, several years ago when I was pastoring in Phoenix, I had a, a, an adult leader who was working with our youth that I found out um, had a, um, a very um, different theological perspective. And it wasn't just a, a simple theological thing. It wasn't one of those deals that, you know, wasn't really a big deal. This was a really a big deal. It was a basic uh, Christian premise that uh, every Christian group believes in. And yet, for whatever reason, they did not adhere to that perspective. And, and as a pastor, um, I struggled because I, I knew that this um, person loved our teens. I knew that they cared about our teens. And yet, as I stood before God, I could not allow someone who really believed that to be a counselor and teacher to our youth. And so I had to make the very hard decision to tell her that I needed her to step down from that position. And I remember when I met with them in my office and, and I knew that what I was going to say was breaking their heart. And then they began to cry and I, I began to cry with them. And I didn't cry because what I was doing was wrong. I cried because I knew that I was breaking their heart. And it wasn't going to stop me from doing the right thing. But doing the right thing still shouldn't stop me from being compassionate to people I care about. Does that make sense? Let yourself feel their hurt and disappointment even when you don't understand why it hurt them. If you don't understand why it hurt them. Now, some of us are a little more head people than heart people. Some of us who are like me, who are heart people, we feel everything uh, pretty, pretty uh, uh, often. Uh, we're always, our feelers are always kind of out there. Head people tend to not feel things as much. And sometimes it's hard when you're a head person to always understand why, why that was hurtful for someone. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal. Now, just look at me again for a second. Just want you to hear my heart. It may not be a big deal to you. In the grand scheme of life, it may not be something that matters a whole lot to eternity. But it's a big deal to them. It doesn't matter whether it should be a big deal or not. It is a big deal to them. And I'm not asking you to care about that thing and make that thing a big deal to you. What I am telling you is make that person a big deal to you. It doesn't matter if that thing is important to you. Here's the question. Is this person important to you? If it is, let your heart feel what they feel. Pastor Steve, what's the most important thing about making apologies that stick? Here it is. You need to do it with your heart and not just your mouth. Got it? Let me give you another one. 
And this is really important too. Back up your apologies with repentant action. Back up your apologies with repentant action. A few years ago in Southeast Ohio, there was a a man by the name of Robert Seymour who was arrested by the police. He had uh, been in an altercation with his ex-girlfriend. He had gotten mad because she was seeing someone else and and, uh, he went over to her house and uh, they got into an argument and he got rough with her and started shoving her around and, and, uh, and, and as he was chasing her and hitting her, they went into the kitchen and she grabbed a knife and as she, he came at her again, she actually stabbed him in the shoulder and, and uh, somebody else called 911 and in the middle of this altercation, the police come and Robert takes off and he runs into the woods and he hides and, and then he sneaks back out and he actually steals a police car and he gets into a <laughs> high speed chase and it's a big deal and they finally uh, threw down the spikes and, and caused the police car to wreck. And so all, after all that was done and he was arrested, he's standing before the judge and he's uh, crying. He makes this very tearful apology about how sorry he was and how wrong it was for him to do what he did. And he didn't mean to hurt anybody. And, and uh, his defense, uh, defense attorney was making the appeal. You know, he's, he's been a drug addict and he's had a hard time and blah, blah, blah. And uh, made this real tearful appeal. And, and it's one of those things But probably if you were just... Um, uh, you know, watching this, you would go, you know, you'd probably feel sorry for him and go, you know, I hope the judge gives him another chance. But the judge actually sentenced him to like 14 years in prison. And when you're looking on at that, you, you might think that that was, you know, a really harsh, harsh thing. But here's the deal. When the judge responded to his tearful plea and his attorney's words, what the judge says was, you know what, your tears are falling on deaf ears. Because what had happened, though, is even with that incident, Robert had been arrested just a month before for attacking that same girlfriend. He was actually uh, under a, 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 an order of, of to, to stay away from her, and he violated that to attack her the second time. And in fact, the matter is, Robert had been arrested seven different times for violent crimes in, of the same kind of manner. And the judge said, you know what? This isn't your first day. This, you've been arrested seven times. Of this. You were under an order. You were waiting judgment. You were awaiting sentencing when you did this. And he said, it's death. Now, get that. And I think most of us when we hear it go, wow, seven times. No wonder the judge threw the book at him. Exactly. Now, let that sink in for us. When we talk about making apologies to someone that we care about, There's something that should accompany an apology. It's repentance. Repentance is a change of mind and a change of direction. Uh, It's not just about being sorrowful that it hurt somebody or sorrowful that you got caught or sorrowful that, you know, they're upset with you. But a sorrow that really does something deep inside of you. I, I love how... Uh, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 7.10. He says, the kind of sorrow God wants, read it out loud, makes people change their hearts and lives. Read it again. Makes people change their hearts and lives. In other words, when, when we come before God, he doesn't want us to just feel bad about stuff. He wants us to change the way we live. And it's the same with the people that we're in relationship with. If we're saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, for the same thing that we're doing over and over and over again, guess what? Like the judge, it begins to fall on deaf ears. 
you want an apology that sticks? Then back up that apology with repentant action. We've said this, you know the cliche, actions speak louder than words. Amen. Let me give you a, a third piece when we make apologies, and I think you get this. When you're making an apology, leave out the words if and but. Leave out the words if and but. I'm going to guess that many of us, as we're trying to learn to make apologies, um, have said somewhere along the way, um, if I've hurt you in some way, if, if I've hurt you in some way. Um, and, and I want you to think about that. Just think about if you're on the receiving end. If, if somebody has done something that's been really offensive to you, um, and, and they come and say, you know what? Well, if I hurt you in any way, if what I did was hurtful for you, or if, 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 if I did something wrong, you know, please forgive me. Well, that, that really doesn't heal our heart. Um, because what that really means is when we, when we start throwing that word if in there, we're, we're really saying, you know what, I, I really think you're probably making too big of a deal out of this. Uh, or I really don't think that what I did was wrong. Uh, or I really think that you're overreacting to this. That, that's what that word if begins to convey. And the moment you put the word if in your apology, you might as well stop. Because it's an apology that stinks from that point on. And it's the same with the word but. How many of us have ever, you know, been, again, been in a, in a situation where, um, you know, we overreacted or we reacted to someone and we said something or we did something, uh, and maybe somebody did something to us. Maybe, again, maybe our kids did something, maybe our spouse did something or, or whatever, and, and then we, 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 we lose it and we feel bad for what we did, but you know what? They shouldn't have done what they did. And so when we go to make the apology, we say, you know what? I'm sorry, but, you know, if, if you would stop shouting, if you'd make, stop making noise, if you'd stop interrupting me when I'm on the phone, I wouldn't, you know, and, 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 we, the, and again, the moment we put that word but in the apology, it stops being an apology. Leave it out. And I, and I know this is so frustrating for people because we want, look at me, we want to justify what we did. We want to feel justified in saying what we said and how we said it. Look at me. Their wrong doesn't make your wrong right. Let me say that again. Their wrong doesn't make your wrong right. <clears throat> I'm not telling you that there's not a time to deal with the kids interrupting you when you're on the phone. I'm not telling you that there's not a time to speak to the thing that whatever that person did that upset you. There, there is a time to do that. It's just not when you're making an apology. If your kids upset you and you lose it and shout at them, call them names or do something stupid, um, you know, when you get off the phone and you realize what you did, go and, go and make that right. Go and take ownership for that. Go and say, you know what? I am so sorry. I should have never yelled at you like I yelled. I should have never screamed at you like I screamed. I never should have called you that name. I, I never should have uh, done what I did. And I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? Seal it right there. 
Leave it alone. Let that moment heal itself. Later, another point in time, you can come back and go, can I talk to you guys for a second? You know, I, when I was on the phone today and you interrupted me, I, I was on a really important call, and, and I know I lost my temper, and I'm not going to justify that because I never should have, but can I get your help? Can I, can I get you to please not be so loud when I'm on the phone? I, I'm telling you that this is a, a subtle uh, change in how we interact with each other, but I'm going to tell you that are, those are the defining moments that really help us stay connected and stay in tune and stay bonded to each other. You've got an opportunity there. Do you want to stick or do you want to stink? If you want to stick, leave out the if, leave out the but. I love what Ben Franklin said. I just think this is such a great, a great quote. He says, never ruin an apology with an excuse. Never ruin an apology with an excuse. Last thought I want to give you this morning. Sincere apologies open others' hearts to you. They also open your heart to God. There's a passage of scripture in James chapter 5 and verse 16. And James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And what I want to say to you is that whenever we've done something, said something, acted in a way that's hurtful to people we care about, when we make a really good apology, when we confess that sin to them, we are helping heal them, and we're helping heal their relationship with us. That's what James is talking about. When we confess our sins to them, we are healing, building a bridge, tearing down the wall. We're restoring, confessing our sins to one another. Uh, we're, we're mending their hearts. That's what, that's what a great apology does. But there's another piece too. And it also, it, 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 it opens our hearts to God. I want you to remember, go back to the scripture that when Jesus, that I read for you, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, when that last part of that, listen again to what Jesus says. Jesus says, go and be reconciled to that person then come. Go and be reconciled to that person, then come. One more time. Go, be reconciled to that person, and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. You see, here's the deal. Because it is so important to God that we live well with each other because these people around us are also children of God. It's incredibly important to him that we treat them like we would treat him. I, I, I wrote a quote in my notes and I, I put it on a slide for you and we're going we're gonna to throw that up on the screen. It says, you can't wrong others and be right with God. You can't wrong others and be right with God. Now, I want you to just look at me for a second, and I just want you to hear my heart. 
my guess is that there are some of us that we've maybe in recent days had a hard time feeling really connected to God. My guess is there are some of us as we've sat down to read his word, as we've gone to God in prayer, or maybe just even in our kind of personal times, we just feel a little bit disjointed for God. And what I want to say is I'm going to guess that for a lot of us, that disconnection that we are feeling with God really isn't about our relationship with God. I'm going to guess that that distancing that we're feeling is our relationships with some other people. You say, Pastor Steve, how do I really get back and reconnect with God? For some of us, the very first step is making things right with someone else. Look at me. Make eye contact and hear my heart. For some of us right now, the absolute best thing that we could do in our journey of faith is to go to our spouse who we've hurt, to go to our kids who we've yelled at, to go to someone close to us, to, to pick up the phone and make a phone call or to, to go to them and simply sit down and say, I am so sorry. I never should have done what I did. I never should have said what I said. I'm going to guess that if some of us would take that step of really making a heartfelt apology to someone else, we would find the channels between us and God opened up a lot wider. Jesus said, you know, if you, if you find yourself coming before God, and when you're there, you remember that you've wronged someone else, just stop. Go make that right. And then come back and offer it to God. Apologies that stick, apologies that stink. What kind of apologies are you making? Can I pray for you? Father, today, um, we thank you for the challenge of your word. You make it clear uh, from the beginning to the end of Scripture that our relationships with each other are just as important to you as our one-on-one -on -one journey with you. And yet, Lord, we have to confess that, man, this, uh, this journey with other people is a lot more challenging. And you understand that because you've had to get along with us as well. And so, Father, I want to pray today. I want to pray for every single person who's been watching this video uh, this morning. And, God, I know that uh, for some of them, right where they are, you've been laying the faces of people in their lives on their heart. There are some of them, Lord, that even as I was sharing, you were pricking their conscience about things that they said, things that they've done, people that they've hurt, people where they know there's a wall there that they've never taken care of. And Lord, we know that we can't fix both sides of a relationship. We know that all we can do is take responsibility for ours. But Father, I pray today that you would just reach out and give us the courage and the commitment to take care of what we can do. And that is to go to those that we love and make an apology that at least from our end, that can be an attempt to heal their hearts. Lord, again today, I, I believe with all my heart that 
Sometimes the thing that's keeping us from really connecting with you isn't, isn't our love for you. It's how it has to do with our love for other people and how we're not demonstrating that the way that you want us to. So, Father, open our minds today. Open our hearts. Would you work your healing work in our hearts, in our homes, and in our relationships? In your precious name, we pray. And everyone everywhere said, amen.